This episode includes depictions of graphic violence against minors and animals and addresses themes of suicide and suicidal ideation. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein or its many adaptations. Today's episode combines features from a number of Victorian period elements for dramatic effect. Hello everyone, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. This week we leave London behind for the Alps of Geneva and the far north. There we'll find science fiction's first monster, a cobbled together corpse brought to life by Dr. Victor Frankenstein. Frankenstein was a man so afraid of death, he broke the laws of nature to defeat it. His creation was the miserable, misunderstood, and murderous result. This is Mythical Monsters, Victorian Monsters. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Coming up, a creature created by death opens up its yellow eyes. Renowned novelist Mary Shelley was born into tragedy. Her mother and namesake, Mary Wollstonecraft, was one of England's first feminists. But Wollstonecraft died just 10 days after Mary's birth. Mary mourned her mother all her life and frequently visited her grave to read to her. Tragically, death continued to follow Mary Shelley. After having an affair with the married poet Percy Shelley, Mary gave birth to a little girl. Her daughter only lived for two weeks. The deep, cutting losses of her mother and child no doubt gave Mary plenty of dark, horror-filled material. So she made a monster and a masterpiece. Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein in the summer of 1816 when she was only 19 years old. Her title character, Victor Frankenstein, is so traumatized by the passing of his mother that he sets out to defeat death itself. He uses his skills in medicine, chemistry, and physics to reanimate a corpse from various body parts. To Victor, his creation is beautiful at first. When the creature is brought to life, his demeanor is childlike, and after Victor abandons him, he processes the loss like a child, with fear, devastation, and rage. The trouble is, this child is well over eight feet, and his anger over his father's rejection doesn't result in mere petulance. It turns him into a killer. He murders Victor's fiancée and flees north of the Arctic Circle, daring his father to chase him. There, they pursue each other across the ice and into snowy oblivion. But their fight has disastrous consequences for others, even within this frozen wasteland. It had been a cold year, even for Siberia. 
Kitgi and her father struggled daily to keep their reindeer and dogs fed, and the struggle was made harder by the sharp sting of grief. Kitgi's mother had died less than two months ago. Kitgi blamed the Russians. Her tribe had reluctantly met with them to barter a trade agreement, and shortly after that meeting, her mother had taken ill. That was why you don't speak to outsiders. Her father didn't agree. According to him, working together was the Chukchi way. Those left out in the cold weren't long for this world. He was harping on the topic again one evening as she put together dinner. Kitgi soon found out why. He'd done a good deed for a stranger today. Kitgi bristled. You can't trust the white man. It'll put the whole village at risk. Her father shook his head. He wasn't white. He was sallow, like an infant gone too soon. I've never seen anything like it. That was odd. Kitgi was stumped, but her father continued. I lent him a sled and dogs. Kitgi stared at him. What sled and what dogs? Her father winced at her tone. Your mother's. Her dogs were doing nothing but taking up room in the kennel. This man needed them more than we did. Kitki was already pulling on her thick coat and gathering supplies. She had her own sled and dogs, so it was true that she didn't need the ones her mother had used, but she wasn't going to just sit here while some stranger ran her mother's dogs ragged. Her father tried to stop her. He wasn't a Russian, Kitki, I'm sure of it. I've never seen a Russian dress like this man. He had no protection from the cold. I offered him some hides, but he wouldn't take them. I'm afraid he means to die. The dogs will take him where he needs to go and come home. They know the way. Kitki slung her father's bow on her back. They won't come home if he hurts them. You had no right to give them up. Kitki strode outside and hitched her dogs to the sled by their whalebone buttons. Her father hurried after her. Kitki, please. They're perfectly safe. Your mother will speak through them if needed. You don't need to risk yourself. Kitki pulled up her reindeer hide hood. So the stranger is dangerous after all. He found a commanding tone she hadn't heard since her mother died. Kitki, don't go. It will be night soon. You'll freeze. Kitki shook her head. Those dogs, that sled, they're the last things we have of her. I can't believe you would give them away so easily. Then Kitki gave the command, pushed off, and headed into the swiftly approaching sunset. Kitki knew her dogs would seek out their companions, so she let her lead Tintin do what she wished. Kitki's mother had named her that. It meant freshwater ice chip on account of her blue eyes. But it wasn't long before Kitki saw the sun sink beneath the horizon. The polar night was heavy and dark and would last for 18 hours. Her father was right. She could freeze. She reluctantly turned the dogs around, deciding she'd set out again at first light. They picked up their pace, flying towards the village's lanterns in the distance, when all of a sudden, something grabbed her throat, yanking her from the sled. Kitki's legs kicked. She frantically clawed at her neck, her breath completely cut off by whatever was wrapped around it. It felt like a hand, a human one, 
But it was so cold, just touching the skin made her cheeks sting. The flesh was squelching, wet and leathery, like reindeer hide before it was cleaned. A deep but raspy voice sounded from the dark. Stop following me. The monstrous hand tossed her to the side, and she plunged into the snow. She looked up to see a massive frame blocking the light from another sled's lantern. It was her mother's sled, with her mother's dogs hitched to it. Kiki had found them. Those are my dogs. The figure stepped closer. The lantern's pale light revealed his jaundiced chin and glittering white teeth. Yellow eyes glowed from the shadows that covered the rest of his face. I need them. She could hear her mother's dogs panting in the darkness behind him. The man's large form was a heavier load than they normally carried. They needed to be home. And if she was honest, the man needed to be too. His next step forward revealed that he was only wearing a torn tunic and straight-legged pants. Kiki couldn't help herself. You're going to freeze. The shape let out a mirthless laugh as he picked up the lantern. Would that it were so. He smelled like alcohol, heavy alcohol. It was how the Russian soldiers smelt. But when he stepped fully into the light, she saw he didn't look drunk. He looked sick. The skin on his partially exposed chest was stretched over a twitching web of veins and arteries. They struggled to pump too thick blood through each vessel. He grinned at her. The shift in his face pulled on a set of moldering stitches, tearing the yellow skin. Desiccated muscle appeared below it. Kiki's heart started to pound faster and faster. The man wasn't sick at all. He was dead. Coming up, Kiki tries to steal her dogs back from a living corpse. Love. It's been the subject of poems, novels, music, and film. It's also been the driving force behind some of the most horrendous crimes in history. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Join me for season two of Criminal Couples and meet the lovers who took their passion to perilous lengths. Featuring standout episodes from female criminals, serial killers, solved murders, and crimes of passion, this season of Criminal Couples gets to the heart of what makes two turn to a life of murderous crime. Some couples were set off by revenge or greed. Others were fueled by sex and drugs. All acted in the name of love. Discover the darker side of desire in season two of the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Follow for free and tune in every Monday, only on Spotify. Now back to the story. Kiki could barely understand what she was seeing. The man that stood in front of her was both deceased and not. She'd heard of shamans bringing people back from the dead, but that was a spiritual journey, not a physical one. This was more like stitching hides together for a coat. This was monstrous. The words came out before she could stop them. What are you? The monster suddenly looked tearful. I am a wretch, 
meant to be spurned and kicked and trampled on. Kiki couldn't imagine who was large enough to bully this thing. What can trample you? The monster growled at her. You don't believe me. Over the wind, another pack of dogs barked in the distance, along with the whisper of a voice. Someone was coming. At the sound, the monster's face twisted with a mix of fear and hatred. He ran for the sled. Kiki's heart pounded. He couldn't just leave with her mother's dogs. She hurried after him, yelling, No, they need rest! Just as she reached him, he whipped around and swiped Kiki out of his way. She soared through the air, straight into a snowbank. She spit out the cold wet and jumped to her feet, bow drawn. If only she'd had the time to make a sacrifice to Kucha before she left. She could use the Raven Spirit's guidance for this. Kiki lined up her shot, willing the arrow to find the monster even in the half-light. There was a heartbreaking thunk as the arrow sank uselessly into the sled's wooden side. It had missed the monster by inches. Kitki yelled in anguish, but then abruptly fell silent. The monster was running towards her. His grotesque face crumpled in fury as he charged. She scrambled backwards, but he was on her in seconds. The monster grabbed her by her hood and swung her upwards. Kiki frantically threw a punch at an exposed arm, but it barely did a thing. His pulsing, stretched skin undulated just slightly at the sight of the blow before snapping back into place. The wind and snow swirled around her as he smashed her head against her mother's sled again and again. Her pleas became desperate gurgles as her nose broke and her mouth filled with blood. The man's words came in snatches as the world moved in and out of focus. You dare attack me? The monster pulled her head back one more time. His yellow eyes found her brown ones. They both knew this was her end. The crack of a pistol cut through the haze. Kiki could hear an ominous voice coming from beyond the fog. Unhand her, demon. I will kill you where you stand. So Kiki had heard someone calling over the snow earlier. The monster froze, and then smiled. His cheek stitches stretched. Frankenstein, you are close. Too close. Will you come out, coward? Or will you run from this, too? The ominous voice echoed back. I need not look upon you to know that I hate you all the more each day. The monster's croaking laugh rang out. <laughs> you aspired to be a god, but you sit on a broken altar. I am your avenging angel, Frankenstein, and I will destroy my creator. He exhaled. The stench of death and grain alcohol stung Kiki's nose. He lowered her back onto the snow. Don't follow me. His tone reminded Kiki of the way she spoke to her dogs. She wanted to rip out the stitches that held him together one by one, but her body felt broken. She couldn't move. Instead, she helplessly watched him mount her mother's sled and push off. 
she could hear the poor dogs panting as the monster's gargantuan form disappeared into the night. Kitki shifted. Her skin felt stiff and sticky beneath the dried gore. A sled pulled up and a face peered down at her. The man from the darkness was very white with wild dark hair and soft features. He had a pistol in his hand. Sorry, I'm a doctor. May I help? Kitki looked at him suspiciously. The other man had certainly been a monster, but why did he call this doctor, this Frankenstein, his creator? They looked like the same age, so they certainly weren't father and son. She waved his hands away. I'm fine. I will be fine, I mean. He ignored her protests and carried her to her sled to examine her head wounds. He murmured, you might need stitches. Kiki pulled away a little too fast. She winced. Why did he call you his creator? A storm of emotions passed over Frankenstein's pale face. Then it went neutral. That is too long a story to tell. Kiki gripped the sled to keep herself upright. Your creation is just as secretive. Did he get that from you? Frankenstein's eyes flashed, reminding her of the monster's uncanny stare. Perhaps they were father and son somehow. Kitki didn't know. All she knew was that these were not her people and they were on her land and had taken her dogs. I'd leave if I were you. All avenging aside, we don't like outsiders in these lands, especially ones who shoot at things. Frankenstein smiled curtly. I'll keep that in mind, thank you. Now I must press on. Kitki wasn't surprised by his flippancy, but at least she'd warned him. Kitki tied herself to the sled to make sure she stayed on it and put her faith in the dogs. When Tintin finally pulled the team to a stop outside her tent, she didn't even have the energy to cut the rope, so she hung there until her father found her. Kitki was raw and swollen for two weeks. It would have been much longer without the shaman's hard work. She was delirious for most of it, but during the small snatches of awareness she did have, she saw Tintin by her side. Except the dog's irises weren't the normal icy blue. He had her mother's brown, loving eyes. When Kitki was finally well, she tried to tell her village about the monster, but no one believed her. Perhaps she'd been attacked by a malevolent spirit, they suggested, but Kitki was certain. This creature wasn't a spirit, and if she was the only one who knew he existed, it was her duty to stop him. So every night, she snuck out of her tent to patrol the tundra beyond her village. She always took a knife. It was on one of these nights, when the sky was clear and the snow was still, that she saw a light in the distance. At first, Kitki thought it was the northern lights, but it was too low, just above the horizon. A campfire, perhaps, but it was sprawling, at least eight feet long. As she drew near, she saw a large bundle on the ground beside it. Kindling, maybe? Kitki approached slowly. She kept her hand on the knife at her belt. Her eyes raked the surrounding snow, searching for signs of an ambush. When none came, she tiptoed over to the bundle. It was a person, sleeping by the fire. 
No, not sleeping. The man's lips were blue and his open eyes were vacant. His wild, dark hair was frozen to the snow. It was Dr. Frankenstein. Kitki stifled a gasp. She hadn't known this man. She certainly hadn't liked him. And yet, seeing his corpse was like seeing the light leave her mother's eyes all over again. Her chest tightened, tears pressed at the back of her eyes. She shut them, trying to will it all away. Her throat was closing as the sobs came. But then she realized the lack of air wasn't from the tears. Her eyes shot open as cold, dead hands tightened around her throat. Coming up, the monster's final act of destruction. Now back to the story. Kitki grasped desperately at the monster's hand as it closed around her throat. His yellow eyes stared into hers, made more sinister by the flickering firelight. Was this how he'd killed his creator, Frankenstein? The darkness was closing in on her. Kiki didn't want to die, not like this. She'd just wanted her mother's dogs back. She croaked out one desperate, please. The monster looked almost surprised and quickly released her. Kitki coughed and clutched at her throat, backing away from him. He stepped towards her, his cobbled-together face apologetic. I'm sorry. I was blinded by rage, and I... You did nothing to deserve that. I'm relieved that you're all right. May I explain? He seemed so polite now. She didn't trust it, but she was too scared to say no. She didn't want him to get impolite, so she nodded. The monster asked her to sit by the fire, and then he told her his tale. Kiki wasn't sure what she'd expected. Perhaps a murder confession? And there were a few of those. But there was tragedy, too, and pain. She found herself gasping in horror, sympathy, and revulsion. For both the doctor and the monster, the creator and the created. But still, this creature had killed so many. She adjusted her weight to remind herself of the knife she carried. She hoped she could get out of this without using it. So what will you do next? The monster looked into the flames. I will burn him. Then I will join him. We will both vanish. I shall no longer see the sun or stars or feel the winds play on my cheeks. Light, feeling, and sense will pass away, and in this condition I must find my happiness. Kiki spoke slowly. You know there's a small spot of land to the east where they believe that those who die an unnatural death are lifted to the northern lights. The monster was confused. The northern lights? Kiki frowned. You've never seen the lights? Look up. High above, the sky's brilliant colors moved in eerie motion. Blues, greens, violets, and pinks. It was like water. Kitki watched the light dance in the monster's yellow eyes. The gap between his stitches widened as his jaw dropped. Kitki nodded to the fire. Any unnatural death, 
even that. The monster lowered his dull gaze. What if it doesn't last? She cocked her head. What do you mean? The monster added another log to the fire. The veins beneath his skin pulsed as he spoke. The lights, the world, your world. Something is wrong with it. It is changing. Long winters, harsh floods, crops rotting in the field. Once I learned to read, I didn't stop, and I discovered there are scholars in the universities who see the end. How could my father bring me into this mess? Kiki could see him getting agitated, but she didn't know how to slow it down. These were thoughts that she didn't like having. I think I'll take the dogs now. She stood, but the monster grabbed her arms and pushed her back down. Kiki struggled, but he was so strong. He stared at her intently. You have to answer the question first. Why did he bring me into this chaos? She shook her head. I don't know. I'm not him. The monster lifted her up so that her feet dangled over the fire. It snapped and popped beneath her. Why did he leave? Kiki's heart thrummed with panic. She struggled to speak. I don't know. Parents leave. They fail. They die. It's not our fault. They just do. My mother... She swallowed the words, not wanting to give them up. He seemed to sense her reluctance and shook her until they came pouring out. She's gone. She got sick when she shouldn't have gotten sick, and she left me. The monster slowly set her down and said, So you understand. Kiki nodded. Them leaving isn't our fault, but what happens after is... He murmured, After... The monster floated over to the fire and stood at its edge, staring deeply into its flames. Kiki looked from the inferno to her mother's sled, her mother's dogs. Her own words rattled around in her mind. She carried the weight of her mother's death, just as this monster carried the confusion of his creator's rejection. She pitied him, but she was also scared of him. He was unpredictable, violent. At any moment, he could abandon his melancholy for rage and break her in two. It was time for both of them to move into the after. She looked at the monster, still staring into the fire, and then she took a deep breath and pushed. The monster didn't struggle or flail. He just opened his arms wide as if welcoming the flames. The fire engulfed him immediately, and his sallow skin bubbled and popped as it peeled away to reveal charred remains. Kiki turned to Frankenstein's corpse. She wouldn't give him a Chukchi burial, but she wouldn't leave him to the wolves either, so she hefted the doctor onto the pyre too. And as she stepped back, she took one last look at the monster. The flames raged around him, but his eyes were fixed upwards, looking at the stars. Frankenstein was originally written during a friendly contest between some of the 19th century's greatest writers. 
That contest has become a legend in and of itself and was included in Frankenstein's original preface in 1818. But few know why the competition happened in the first place. Mary, her future husband Percy, Lord Byron, and Dr. John Polidori holed up in Villa Diodati in Lake Geneva to flee the weather, and what horrible weather it was. 1816 would later be known as the year without a summer in Western Europe. Extreme weather and famine ran rampant around the globe and grew worse over the next five years. What was more terrifying was that no one knew why this change was happening. It would take almost a century for climate scientists to discover the cause. The largest volcanic eruption in human history on Mount Tambora in Indonesia. Mary Shelley and her contemporaries may have felt like they were facing an apocalypse, and her novel certainly reflects that sentiment. The story's greatest climaxes happen in extreme climates full of blowing snow and ominous fog. The book is not just frightened of death, it is terrified of the natural elements. And Dr. Victor Frankenstein views his creation as one of these horrors. Cold doesn't hurt the monster. He's animated by lightning itself. He has far greater durability than any human could imagine. He has to burn himself alive to leave the world that has harmed him, and that he has harmed horribly in return. But the monster is also well-spoken and well-meaning, at least to start. One might wonder what would have happened if Dr. Frankenstein had only given him a chance. Because you see, the monster may be murderous, the monster may be grotesque, the monster is certainly to be feared, but a human made him that way. And it makes us wonder, what other horrors is humanity capable of? Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. Next week, we gear up for Valentine's Day with a seductive new season. If you'd like more Victorian thrills and chills, consider checking out my ParCast colleague Alistair's podcast, Haunted Places Ghost Stories. Listen to some hidden and haunted gems from writers like Bram Stoker, Charles Dickens, and Amelia Edwards. They'll take your breath away. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jen Rache, with writing assistance by Kate Murdoch and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. It's been said that love is a many-splendored thing. That is, until it's not. In season two of Criminal Couples, discover true stories of couples who turned their love lives into a life of crime. Lies and deceit are just the beginning. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Criminal Couples. Catch new episodes every Monday, free and only on Spotify. 